Hello, and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm in Jessica. We were missionaries for seven years until we stepped back in 2019 to seek health and re-examine our beliefs. Right now, I am a Christian, but not an evangelical. And I am an agnostic. And we are deconstructing. And reconstructing together. together. Listen to some of our key episodes, such as Deconstructing Together, Domestic Abuse, I'm a Survivor. The Cult of ATI, Part 1 and 2, and Dehumanized by Purity Culture. Join us on our journey as we seek health together. So with us today is Jeffrey Wallace, who is an author and writing under a pseudonym because you are still within the Jehovah's Witness organization. Um, But you have written a book, A Voice from the Inside, Notes on Religious Trauma Syndrome in a Captive Organization. Coming out August 1st. Yes. So (laughs) pre-order now, probably on on Amazon. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That'd be great. So this is a very interesting situation um, where you are writing on religious trauma, uh, specifically writing about it within the Jehovah's Witness organization while you're still in it. So can you physically in while you're physically in it? Can you share your story and what brought you to this place where you would still be in, but writing um, under a pseudonym as you are? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the situation, as we know, a lot of people are experiencing religious trauma as they're deconstructing some pretty rigid fundamentalist beliefs, particularly as they start rubbing up against, um, you know, some movements in the social sphere and as people grow in their empathy, Um, We're, you know, deconstructing some of those beliefs. Uh, But there was a significant amount of cognitive dissonance as we all go through and we're going through that process. I had that process too. And then when I eventually let go of my faith, um, I experienced the classic symptoms of religious trauma syndrome. Uh, So post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, um, you know, a period of extreme mental health that I had to get, you know, professional mental health treatment to work through. And uh, that's what I speak out about because I I recognize that the more intense and the more radical a system of beliefs is and the more closed a community is, you know, the more likelihood there is for that sort of traumatic occurrence to happen when somebody lets go of their belief system. Uh, Particularly if it's in an organization, for example, a new religious movement like Jehovah's Witnesses, where there are these policies that make disillusionment um, very risky because it carries with it the possibility of being, you know, formally excommunicated from the organization. Mm-hmm. So as I started going through this process on my own and started realizing that if I ever spoke my disagreement with the doctrines of the organization, I would be pushed away from everybody that I loved, including my family um, blood relatives, um, sort of at the, in the depths of my trauma, I realized that I wasn't going to allow that to happen. You know, I wasn't going to allow an organization to formally excommunicate me and distance me from my family so that I would be forcibly shunned for the rest of my life and theirs. Um, and as I started sort of making my own space and my own peace with this, you know, power structure that I was sort of in the middle of, or you know, a victim of. Um, I started reaching out online, of course, and I discovered the acronym that's used PIMO, physically in, mentally out, which just blew my Mm -hmm. mind. You know, there were others before me, others who had been in the situation where they're silenced, they disagree perhaps intellectually or ethically with the organization's policies or the teachings. 
and yet they're silenced, forced to live, if only for a period of time, but perhaps longer than that, um, keeping their beliefs to themselves. And that was sort of a sociological phenomena that I thought had not really been dis- disclosed in the literature about new mm. religious movements um, that I thought I really needed to add a voice to. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. Certainly within evangelicalism, there's consequences for leaving. Um, quite heavy consequences. It's all informal. Usually it's informal. You could be formally, you know, kicked off an elder board or something like that. But um, it's interesting to think of, I mean, I, I'm sure that there are people who are physically in, but mentally out of evangelicalism as well. Yeah. Um, well, we have friends who have deconstructed and yet they're very silent about it and have not talked about it um, That's right. for, for reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I see it, you know, the more that I sort of speaking out and talking about my deconstruction journey, you we find these commonalities and, and it's been really reaffirming or affirming for me to connect with people who, you know, ex evangelicals, ex Mormons, other extra witnesses, uh, or current, you know, the ones that are doing yeah. so anonymously that, that, yeah. you know, they fear the social reprisals. Um, the thing with Jehovah's Witnesses and others that have these form, these, you know, very rigid formal judicial systems and um, shunning is that it's not only the shunning that the organization practices, which could be considered an act of their religious faith, you know, that they have the freedom to do. But it is also the enforced shunning. So mm. if somebody does not shun an ex-member, then they are at risk of being shunned themselves. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So that creates uh, quite a coercive dynamic. So yeah. one can say now that, you know, I really question whether those who shun their family members um, are really doing so out of freedom of religious expression yeah. or if they're being coerced to do so, threatened yeah. to do so. Hmm. So that must create a lot of conflict for you on a day-to-day basis. How do you, because from my understanding of Jehovah's Witnesses, it's quite an involved system. You, you go door to door, you have, um, you know, requirements and things that, that you have to do uh, as in evangelicalism. Um, but how do you go about faking it basically <laughs> for, for lack of a better term? Yeah. So yeah, I talk about this at length in the book about how many will sort of have to be in that phase, you know, even if temporarily that they have to fake it. Some may choose that the, the consequences for leaving are just too much and they never will. And so they're, uh, until that policy is changed, which I really hope there, there can be some adjustments, um, they're going to feel very captive. So uh, what, ha- what helped me was seeking professional mental health support. Uh, so getting... Uh, psychiatric, psychological help from an outsider who knew the situation with religious trauma syndrome, Mm. knew how impactful Mm. that can be. Uh, They really understood uh, not only that it's a crisis of faith, but also their significant um, like naivete in the ways of the world, you know, making your own Right. Uh, with outsiders, it's a it's an extremely different culture. Connecting with others that don't have the upbringing that you have religiously and culturally, um, so I, I was able to connect with a mental health provider that really understood that. 
And that has been crucial to my recovery mm-hmm. and, a, and a, a reason why I speak out because I'm very concerned that some will be too afraid to access that kind of care. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to find religious trauma therapy informed therapists. It's a relatively new uh, field within psychotherapy and it's hard to find somebody that doesn't just believe the stock line that well, religion is generally helpful. Um, and something that we've discussed is that in leaving our faith, there's such psychological trauma. And also you can have these messages like if you leave, God's going to judge you. And also you're having these post-traumatic stress symptoms but if they're not diagnosed, you might just think you're being tormented by demons or tormented by God. And then things don't work out for you because you haven't been equipped to handle the world. So you're naive and you're unprepared and perhaps you don't have financial or, or housing support that you need. So life can fall apart and that can feel like part of the judgment. It, it, it seems to me that that is part of the tool that these high control systems use to trap their people. So I, I, I do feel like you're doing a great service in helping people um, decode and, and, and deconstruct and find healing from some of these things so that, of course, it's still going to be hard, but at least if you can handle, if you can know what's ahead of you and find some freedom for the religious trauma, um, you can find your way out of the net. Is that kind yeah. of what you're aiming for? Yeah, well, that's, Absolutely, because it starts with our own independence of thinking and our own psychological homeostasis. When we're in a place of balance and we're empowered, then we can start making changes in our life, practical changes in our life that could be very stressful and very difficult and very challenging. But, you know, if we're well, if our mental health is is dialed in, then we're more empowered to do what we need to in our lives. So the first step is, is undoing and deconstructing this. And, you know, you mentioned something, Josiah, with how many therapists are of the general understanding that spirituality is a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you meet somebody in the therapy room and they are troubled with their belief system, uh, but they may be afraid to denounce their belief system, then the therapist may very well encourage them to, you know, perhaps have a, a spiritual sort of coping mechanism um, which is the very thing that's triggering their trauma which that happened to me as i was reaching out in the um mental health you know field trying to find professionals that could help me was it was very triggering um, because i was in this difficult space where if i spoke too much about the religion i'd be disloyal and at at risk of displeasing god i didn't know where i stood with that yet Um, so that's very much a challenge the more people the more therapists can understand that Religion has, in some instances, the power to to comfort, but in other instances, it, it has the power to cause significant depression, particularly fundamentalist groups that are really yeah. restricting thought on behalf of the members. But yeah. what, what I find, like uh, even myself, with one counselor that I had, is you know having she has um, just moderate Christianity, <laughs> so. To her, it's not a big deal, um, but it's her faith. But she's not necessarily going to church all the time or like it's not 
ruling her life. Mm -hmm. So for me to explain, try to explain to her my fundamentalist background, um, she thinks she gets it, but she doesn't. <laughs> and that is like, when you try to find help for religious trauma, it you have to be willing to go through several therapists, unfortunately, mm -hmm. until you find one that gets it or else, or else piece together therapists because they can all help with various parts. Um, yeah, it is yeah, definitely. That's, that's insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I've had about three therapists now and they've all helped in their own ways. Um, and then they all kind of reached an end of what they could help me. And then the next one can help with another part. <laughs> so mm -hmm. and it would be great to find one that can do it all. But if you can't, there's still ways to find healing. That's right. But I'm really, really glad to see more resources coming out on religious yeah. trauma syndrome and your book coming out. I'm sure I haven't read it yet. I will. Um, but um, I'm sure it'll be really insightful just to bring awareness to the fact that religious trauma is a thing. It's real. It's mm -hmm. so real. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned too how it can be very, you know, once once you've lost an element of illusory thinking that was very painful for you to lose, which across the human lifespan, we all do. We deconstruct these sort of fantastical views of the world, um, whatever they are from your youth. And religion is one of them. So Marlene Winnell talks about this in her book, mm -hmm. Leaving the Fold, when she talks about religious trauma is how, you know, for some people losing the illusion of religion or some of the fantastical supernatural elements of Christianity when they were, you know, early teens or in their developmental years, uh, maybe it was painful, uh, but it was at an earlier stage of development. And then when people get to be adults, they've done a lot of that work already. And this is in mainstream society. But in closed religious groups now, you're dealing with unloading this fantastical thinking at a much later stage in your life when you've, you have more sort of neurological, psychological rigidity and there's more to lose now. More of your life mm -hmm. is built around it. And yeah. uh, so what could be considered by many as, you know, this is just something, this is like a crisis of faith that we all go through at some point in our lives um, is, is missing the point of the, of the danger, um, suicidal ideation, yeah. particularly when people are dealing with intense depression and feel um, captive and that they are going to cause more damage by leaving than they are by, for example, committing suicide or living in depression for the rest of their lives. That's where more, more attention needs to be given. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It comes along with a lot of, yeah. Depression, anxiety, grief, just grieving all the years lost or grieving the stages of development that were missed and can't be repeated. And just, at least from my own experience, that's kind of the stage that I'm at now of the recovery process. It's just a grief, just so much mm -hmm. grief. Um, when you do so as an adult <laughs> in later years and have given your life to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's the right word, you know, it's significant loss. And then there also may be um, issues with losing the friend you had in God. You know? yeah. So if you are sort of deconstructing to agnosticism or atheism, or you have a, a broader understanding of universal power, what have it, what have you, it's still not the, personified God that was yeah. your comforter and your protector. The first thing you pray to in the morning and the first person you pray yeah. to at night. And then the multiple times through the day, every time you, you've yeah. had any sort of fearful thought. Um, yeah. So to pull that away, 
uh, it leaves a gaping hole. And not only is Huge. there fear, but there's, there's grief, you know, and I talk yeah. about it in my book, it, it's the grief of losing my best friends. Yes. And um, there's, there's real pain and mourning in that. That's a great way to put it. The grief losing your best friend. Cause like, it's a best friend that was always there. You know how we can text people now, but this one, you didn't even have to take out your phone. It was just there, you know? And when things happen, even this week, I've had several situations come up and I'm just like, right away, my mind goes to, oh God, <laughs> you know, like just praying mm-hmm. about it. And mm-hmm. and it really was like a best friend. Like to me, it was throughout the day, every day, you know, people can't say it wasn't real to me because it really, really was. <laughs> yeah. um, so it is a huge, a huge loss for sure. Yeah. yeah. And especially as a lot of these, you mentioned, um, as people grow in empathy, they often leave these groups or, or have cognitive dissonance. And these are often heartless um, ideologies. Uh, this is something I want to talk about more in my TikTok videos. But, you know, Calvinism is a very heartless uh, belief system. And evangelicalism is built on that. And I, I would argue, I, I think historically that Jehovah's Witnesses kind of grows out of that as well. It's this very, like, if you don't believe our beliefs, you're going to burn forever. You know, it, it's you're just not one of the chosen. <laughs> and, and there's so many ways that that religion kind of cauterizes our hearts. We're not supposed to care about people in hell. We're not supposed to care about people in the tribulation. Those, those people deserve to, to burn. And when your heart, and so the point I want to make with that is it attracts people that have emotional wounds and it, mm. it creates this cauterized intellectual kind of environment where a lot of kids that grow up are very lonely. And then when Jesus is your only friend, and then that friend is lost, that, that it just compounds the, the grief because that was the only friend. I mean, for myself, Jesus was, and I still am a Christian, although it's complicated, but Jesus was always there for me when I was a very young child that had, you know, there was no love in any direction, but Jesus was there for me. So it's very hard to lose that. And yeah, there's, there's a a coldness towards different kinds of thinking, as you say, um, that makes our hearts rigid. Uh, You know, Social psychologists and neurobiologists will say that this is in us for to have in-group, out-group thinking, right? It's, it's always been present throughout the time of humanity. There's one tribe, the other tribe. We create a mythology that makes it okay to hate the other people because that protects us and, and you get normal human dynamics. Um, in our evolving intelligence as humanity, we're, we're trying to see past that. We're seeing that in social dialogue, we're seeing it in a race, racism and issues of religious tolerance and, um, you know, uh, tolerance of people with different sexual expressions, gender identities, et cetera. So all of this is sort of coming to the fore, um, particularly in the United States. Um, but we're also seeing how our religion, for some of us, our religious beliefs were actually um, making us cognitively lazy when it came to showing empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had an easy answer when, when something yeah. foreign came into our mind, when somebody with a completely different way of thinking came in front of us, um, rather than doing the work to sit with that and say, okay, you know, what do I think? What do you think? Where do we meet in the middle? Or how can I grow? How can they grow? How can I help them grow? How can they help me grow? Instead of doing that work, 
it's just easy to say, oh, they're an outsider and God says that that's okay. And God has given me the reason to show that prejudice. So, um, yeah, it's sort of like doctrinal um, restriction on love. It's a comfort mm-hmm. zone. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. And it's order too, you know, and this is this a lot yeah. has to do with, with mental health too. Is, yeah. yeah. You know, we're yeah. starting to realize how excessive order in the mind, obsessive compulsive thinking, fear, response, fear, obsession, fear, obsession, you know, religion can fall into that category. And so it's only by releasing that strict order and categorical thinking that we have some fluidity in our existence. And that causes much less incongruence and then much less mental health problems. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. There's just needs to be more emphasis in the, in the church on just, on mental health outside the church like the church doesn't have all the answers <laughs> uh, just yeah. we need we need professionals <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and for those yeah. in progress progressive christian groups you know they really have to do a lot of work to bend and stretch the doctrine um you know if, if there are parts that will be held on to you know that that have been seen to be benign in the religious faith um leadership is still under the task of figuring out how to theologically allow for more right. um, variance and, and empathy and love of other groups. And, um, you know, there's a lot of friction in that process if it is in fact possible. Yeah. But it's, it's a, it's a fun work. Uh, and it's, it's something that has been going on, although we've been, you know, there's a part of me cause I'm kind of an academic um, and there's a part of me that's always been held back by my fundamentalism. And I'm now finding myself excited to think, I just want to research and find out all about this stuff that's been going on for the last 150 years that, you know, my ancestors have said that's liberalism, but it's like, I want to go find out because th- this is, you know, all the answers to the questions that I'm wrestling with now. Um but could we talk about what is religious trauma syndrome? Could we, what is that? Can you give us a definition of that? Yeah. And it's, it's Marlene Winnell and her 2011 work that really put uh, the label on it. Um, And in a sense, essentially it is post-traumatic stress disorder, combination of PTSD and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. That is uh, basically created at the loss of faith or, the um, loss of a religious community that was supportive. Mm. Um, so this is just classic PTSD symptoms, uh, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, intrusive thoughts, uh, suicidal ideation, um, you know, addiction to um, pharmaceuticals or illicit drugs to cope, all those classic symptoms of PTSD, but the root is in the loss of faith or the loss of a religious community. So it can happen to every, it can happen to all very rigid religious groups in the group, in the book, I even talk about um, what I assume must be happening in um, all new religious movements, what I'm seeing happening, obviously, in uh, the evangelical movement, but also Islam, people who are deconstructing radical Islam, seeing, you know, immigrant groups that are moving into Western culture. They didn't have to think about these issues before. Now they're they're in the midst of them and they're faced with this challenge of, of finding their way between the rigidity of their old beliefs 
and what they're seeing in the world around them. And, uh, you know, all of this has the potential to trigger, uh, you know, classic PTSD and CPTSD. Yeah, I was reading this morning just a quote on how trauma is not the event necessarily, it's our how our body responds to it. Um, mm-hmm. And just reminded me a bit of the book, uh, The Body Keeps a Score, and mm-hmm. he talks about, you know, two people can go through an accident, one can shrug it off and move on, and the other one is just bogged down and stuck with PTSD. And it's, it. You can't just because someone can just walk away from religion and be and seem fine. <laughs> um, someone else gets so bogged down, and that's okay. That's normal because some of us it affects in a different way, and you can't just compare traumas. Like, oh, okay, so someone coming out of Mormonism had it much worse than me coming out of a Baptist background, and so it doesn't count what I went through, and I should just move past it. Then you're ignoring it and not dealing with the issue. And your body continues to display that religious trauma. <laughs> um, so it's really to listen to it, to learn to listen to our bodies and to learn to not not just cope with it, but heal, heal from it and just not compare it to others, but to do the work that our own personal selves need. Because mm-hmm. even you and I came from similar backgrounds and, but we don't react to difference. Yeah. Like we're, we're healing differently. Um, and I have much more religious trauma. I mean, you were naming certain symptoms of that. I'm like PTSD and I'm like, check, 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 check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's been wow. less so for you. It's been different um, for me, yeah. So it's, and that doesn't mean it's not damaging. No. What you had is just, just to learn to just um, trust our body and listen to our body and not just other people. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many good resources out there with um, Marlene Winnell is a great one, um, leaving the fold. But you go on TikTok or Instagram and all these yeah. groups, and there's so much like with the deconstruction community that can help us put words to our own experiences and to see that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to hear, you know, the, the, the thing with trauma is, as you say, it's a unique individual experience. And when it comes to the way we treat others, um, it is hearing that pain that they have. Um, absorbing and, and pausing long enough to really understand the pain that another person has. And, it, you know, that's something that we can do because we've been through it, but also we have to be careful that we don't forget our trauma, you know, because that can be part of recovery too, is, yeah. you know, you get to the point where this is not something that you carry moment to moment, day to day. Um, this is the, something that we work towards moving through trauma, but it is important to still remember what that pain was like and not be dismissive of the struggles that others are going through. Yeah. But as you say, you know, the, the biopsychosocial approach is what a lot of mental health practitioners take when it comes to um, things like depression, anxiety, trauma. You know, there's our biological and our genetic makeup that makes some more predisposed to mm-hmm. um, depression and anxiety. And so, yes, as you say, mm-hmm. one, one set of circumstances can affect um, others a, a lot differently. And that's what I started realizing when I was coming through my trauma was that, you know, if I did have some sort of predisposition to depression, which I had actually experienced in cycles all through my time, all through growing up. And it wasn't until I deconstructed the theology um, that I was able to really release myself of that sort of regular ongoing depression. But um, 
you know, I recognize the part of that is, is my genetic makeup too. And then others around me won't have this problem. But I also know that there are some that may suffer in silence for the very same reasons. And those who, those are the ones that we speak up for. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And like, I want to share a little bit of my, my own journey because it, I, my journey has not been depression. It has been guilt and shame. And interestingly, um, the main struggle that I had in the past couple of years has been from uh, an accident that I had in Africa giving me post-traumatic stress disorder. And extreme feelings of shame and guilt are a common outcome of post-traumatic stress, uh, as well as complex PTSD. And when I was able to get that resolved through EMDR, all of a sudden I didn't feel ashamed of myself. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, but you know, I almost died and my mind kept saying, Oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. And, and that created this, this shame blanket that I was under. And when I healed from that, that became a window into my childhood and realizing how I carried shame because of the, co the complex PTSD. And when I healed from began to, I'm still, still a process of course, but I realized the link within my faith tradition with shame and trauma. And then because I, I'm a historian, I realized, you know, Augustine is the father of this stuff. Martin Luther, these people are people that went through traumas in their childhood and at significant points in their, in their adult lives. And it's a thread I haven't, I haven't finished pulling yet, but I think it's very significant that the founders of this way of thinking were struggling with the same sorts of things I was struggling with and created a theology and I think that it attracts people that are traumatized and are dealing with these things. And I think that they have to traumatize people to make them stay because unless you've been traumatized and you're carrying that sort of trauma, it doesn't make sense to you. And wow. I think that some of, I mean, the way that we do Easter, the way that we do some youth camps, yeah. it literally traumatizes people. Mm. Even doctrines like hell, uh, very weak support biblically but it's essential for our way of even the altar call, the, the revival meetings, all these things are, are designed to create this traumatic experience. And from there, everything else makes sense without the trauma. It doesn't make sense. Mm, yeah. You need that. Uh, the, yeah. The, the, the deep fear and the deep sadness of human existence is what we're trying to oftentimes save ourselves from with religion. Yeah. You know, so whether it's fear of death or fear of ultimate meaningless, meaninglessness, or um, just fear of new things. Maybe it's uh, sadness of losing loved ones, sadness that our lives will come to an end and it may not mean anything afterwards or during. You know, these are really dark, hard concepts and we save ourselves from them by formalizing belief systems. And mm -hmm. so, it, but as you say, and, and interestingly too, in the research of trauma in, in terms of religion being healing, it's very much something that people run to um, for support when they're going through something challenging. Yeah. And this is the, this is the danger of captive groups um, because that is who they are targeting yeah. in their yeah. mission. And perhaps you were doing the same too. I know mm -hmm. I was doing that. Um, those that were okay, um, you know, it was on them. They had to answer to God in the last day, but those who were <laughs> crushed at heart, those who were, as yeah. Jesus says, the, the smoldering flax and wick who was about to be put out. Well, I would put my hands around them and kindle that fire at the expense of their liberty rather than 
you know, showing them how to, to be empowered on their own. Um, yeah. That's the, that's the danger of religious band-aids yes. on extremely, uh, you know, extremely traumatic events or feelings that we yeah, all experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think counselors are often painted as the enemy by, mm-hmm. by pastors and by religious groups because they don't want people finding help from these wounds because then the, the religion loses its power. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's, um, uh, it's oftentimes connected to spiritism, demonism, um, yeah. uh, quoted a lot in my upbringing was a verse from Ephesians, which talks about the, um, the spirit that operates in the sons of disobedience, the ruler of the authority of the air is, is the way the new world translation brings it. So it's almost as if Satan has this, constant presence in the air it's easy you can breathe it in if you're just not paying attention you will breathe in the influence of this independent rebellious attitude and it will affect the way you're thinking and if you open yourselves up to that for example in the therapy room through meditation through the use of mind altering substances you are opening the pathway for demonic influence to come in that's a lot of of work day in and day out to protect yourself from anything that would change the way you think or that would allow a freer state of mind and you know yeah that's just too much that's just not sustainable for everybody for sure it's like oh i'm scared of sending your kids to public school scared of yourself going to Mm -hmm. college or college or university or scared of buying uh trolls or (laughs) you know just i don't know scared Scared of reading harry potter scared of trusting (laughs) yourself scared of trusting yourself because mm-hmm. you're inherently wrong and yeah mm-hmm. do not lean upon your own understanding yeah that was yeah. used a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah. to hear how these these commonalities occur because we're in a bubble here um that you know as jehovah's witnesses we think we know everything about the bible biblical history uh, but you know come to find out <laughs> you don't <laughs> Um, so it's very interesting to see how some of these very similar verses are used in very similar ways. I'm yeah. laughing when you when you bring up trolls because you know uh, trolls and Smurfs. You know, there's oh, some, yeah. some significant urban legends surrounding those in the Jehovah's Witness community too. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Do you ever see yourself leaving the Jehovah's Witness, or is that cost still too high at this point? Um. Yeah, I, I, I'm careful not to commit myself in either direction because yeah. um, I think the fact that anybody would be held to that sort of commitment is fundamental to the problem, that one would be forced into that black and white decision. Yeah. I'm yeah. in, I'm out. Um, but yes, the cost would be very high. And, um, you know, I am exploring the possibility that um, we make some change here. Um, I know that I'm not only doing this for myself, but now I am also doing it for myself um, yeah. in a way that was not, that I was blind to in the past. So I wasn't yeah. doing that work for others that were affected by shunning policies and disfellowshipping yeah. policies. And, um, the fact that I've sort of been through the trauma uh, you know, I'm de- deconstructing the beliefs. I, I, I'm able to create a little pocket of safety for me mm. um, while still being inside to a certain extent. Um, it does sort of give me 
a unique opportunity that I want to explore to see what can be yeah. done with. Um, with and, and, you know, without going so far as to ever recommend it to anybody. Right. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, that, that's got to be really hard to be in that place. And I'm sorry that you're put in that place. But I also applaud that you're trying to bring changes mm -hmm. to help others be able to leave, um, just like changes with the shunning um, mm -hmm. principles and things like that. Like that's that would be really good if that could change and help other people be able to have a choice. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, the, the psychological liberty is, is, or should I say the quest for psychological liberty, because we are all subject to it, whether, whether it's not by the power structures in our religious faith, but those outside in the greater community, um, and other elements that exist pressure over us and have a way of restricting our creativity and our spiritual thought, et cetera. This extends beyond just our religious roots. Um, you know, that quest is something that can still be done and that I find a lot of relief from, and particularly with mindfulness and um, deconstructing some of those fundamental shame-based black and white sort of teachings um, it's, you know, it does offer a lot of relief uh, for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's really what we're about is seeking health. You know, um, the promise of our religion was come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, you know, said from the mouth of Jesus, but often said from the mouth of our religion, you know, come to us and you'll find rest in yeah. evangelicalism and <laughs> we right. didn't find rest um mm. but what we're finding as we leave and as we find therapists and as we you know do the hard work we're finding rest mm. i'm curious what what does rest look like to you what what sort of healing and and uh health are you finding um for me it was a lot had to do with understanding my emotional experience. Um, I don't think I had a taste for social fear. I don't think I understood what that felt like in my inner experience. And so I was blind to um, social influence. I was blind to the fear of, of rejection. I was blind to the pain of being judged by others. So when I started to understand what that would, what that experience would be like in my inner experience, well, then I could start sort of challenging it in meaningful ways. Uh, so that was a big thing for me. I remember my therapist, um, when I was talking about some of my challenges, she said, well, that sounds a lot like fear. It sounds like you, you're very much afraid. And I had never thought of myself as a fearful person. Uh, so addressing that, you, you know, addressing your fears and still pushing towards them is, is a much more courageous stance and empowered stance than sort of ignoring our fears. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was big. And then the, the other one for me was the quest for peace rather than happiness or joy. We talk a lot in mental health about how to be happy. Um, we talked a lot in my religious upbringing about being nothing but joyful, joy, 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 you know, be nothing yeah. but joyful. Um, and that was so unbalanced because plenty of life is painful and to, yeah to deny that and to put on this facade of constantly having the answers and to be so happy because you've found the truth um, 
is really, really unhealthy. Um, to never be able to sink into those sort of harder emotions to deal with. So focusing yeah. more on peace, peace and stillness and balance mm-hmm. over joy and happiness and excitement all the time uh, has been, you know, has been really helpful. Good. Yeah. We're so glad that you reached out to us to do this interview. Um, it's really great to hear from you and I'm really excited to read your book. I just want to mention the name again for our listeners. Um, a Voice from Inside, Notes on Religious Trauma, trauma Syndrome in a Captive Organization by jo- Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wallace. Wallace. That's right, you got it. And you're on Instagram as <laughs> my, well. My French side comes in when I try to pronounce oh, certain nice. words. <laughs> It's been really great. And I just, um, good job trying to make changes, but also not only making changes in the organization, but in making changes in yourself and seeking health for yourself, even while you're in the midst of it, that's to be commended because that's really hard (laughs) to do. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the work you guys are doing. Just, you know, having the conversations, having the difficult conversations that we need to have and providing a, you know, just a place that we can do that, you know, you know, I've, I've appreciated hearing a couple of your episodes. So I I was really eager to be on. So, so thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And I wanted to highlight uh, for listeners, there's three episodes that came to mind. We've, we've gravitated towards the term cult. I know you said new religious movements instead of cult. I picked up on that. Mm -hmm. Cult is not a, a good word these days in the literature. But it's a helpful word if you're trying to decode, am I part of a a high control system or more of a healthy system? Um, So we have one called the bite model of authoritarian control, which would be helpful just to understand, was this a high control system or Mm -hmm. or more of a healthy system? Uh, We have a more recent podcast called, uh, how did my family join a cult? And we have... two, which we were actually our our first two, was the cult of ATI parts one and two. So people might just, if they enjoyed this podcast, those might be some other ones to uh, dig deeper into authoritarian um, systems of religion. Yeah, Yeah, that sounds great. I'm glad that you've you've discussed that. I mean, I choose not to use the word cult in my work just because I know that it's a conversation stopper for uh, people who are accused of being in cults. Well, they, as you Mm -hmm. said, you know, I have an explanation as to why I'm not a cult. So if you say that, you're immediately sort of shut down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. elevating the language as possible, but or is 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 really helpful. But Steve yeah. Hassan's work there in the bite yeah. model is the bite um, model is great. <laughs> yeah, r- really helpful, and and just yeah. understanding how those laws of power work. Um, yeah, uh, there's a great book uh, called The Forty Eight Laws of Power, um, oh. which extends beyond it extends beyond the religious sphere. Right, uh, but you start noticing these these social influences that occur inside the church, outside the church in all sorts of social, uh, you know, situations and just being aware of them helps you to, you know, maintain your independence of thinking when you're faced with uh, somebody in authority, you know, that's holding something over you (laughs) like your everlasting future. Yes. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Jeff. Yeah. Thank uh, you so much for having me on. We hope that uh, your book goes very well. Thanks so much.